We're going to be uh, finishing our series, a Faith in Action series, through the book of James today. We'll be in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen. Thank you, Cindy. Uh, there's not much more to hype as I think Cindy hit, covered the basis, but Easter, guys. Easter is such a wonderful opportunity in the ministry life of the church. Let's be thinking and praying about those folks who we work next to, we live next to. Uh, that, you know, they're, they're often a little bit more open to coming to church on that day. That's how we've met uh, a number of you and joined the community. And we're, we just rejoice for, for occasions like this that just built into our natural uh, culture. We can just kind of... Um, uh, come alongside and, and, and serve, serve everyone with the gospel. Uh, well, today, as Cindy just mentioned, we are finishing this series. Next week, we're going we're gonna to look at a series that I'm actually thinking about in, t- in anticipation for Easter. We're gonna, I'm calling it the uh, ripple effect, how, uh, hum- humbly, uh, how sm- small things can have a disproportionately great impact. Um, so that's going to be next week. But this week, we end our series in the book of James, looking at the series we've been calling Faith in Action. And I have to admit here at the top that the text before us is not a text that I would probably, on my own, just go, you know what, let's go ahead and study this. I don't know if you were paying attention all that, all that closely when Cindy was reading it. It's not a text that's just real easy to just get your head around right away. Um, we've been looking at some very, very practical thoughts here in James, uh, like how to make wise decisions, how to go about making plans, how to uh, speak, how to resolve conflict. There's all these very uh, practical topics that we've been looking at as we've been going through James. Well, today is a topic that's also very practical, helpful, but I imagine for most of us, it's one that when you hear it, it'll make you have a little bit of a double take. The topic today, or what James is saying here in this text, is God wants to involve us in supernatural healing. Do I have your attention? God wants to involve us in supernatural healing. Uh, One of the most mind-boggling statements to me in all of the scriptures is when Jesus, right before uh, he ends his ministry, he's hanging out with the 12 dudes, the 12 disciples, his inner core students, and he says to them these words. I want to read them for you. Sorry, they won't be up on the board, but these are are John 14, verse, verse 12. I tell you the truth, he said to his 12 disciples, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. That's a mind-boggling thought. Jesus did some pretty crazy things. I mean, we're talking like miracle upon miracle, amazing things, and these disciples, he was saying, are going to be able to do that, and even greater things than, than what I've been doing. 
And of course, if you read the book of Acts, which is the kind of where it picks up from uh, Jesus' life to focus on his followers, mainly the disciples who are then called in the book of Acts the apostles, we find that, yeah, while Jesus was walking the earth, there was times when, for instance, a gal would touch his cloak and she'd be healed. But in the book of Acts with the apostles, they'd just be walking by and the shadow would, over, would just overcome the person who was sick and they'd be healed. So in that sense, like, okay, that came true. But here's what's crazier than that. What's, what's even crazier of a thought is Jesus wasn't just talking about those 12 guys. I tell you the truth, whoever believes in me will be able to do these works that I've been doing and will do even greater things than these. He's saying that not just those 12 disciples, not just those figures back in the, in the, in the Bible that we can read about. He's talking about for anybody who puts their faith in Jesus today, that he wants to do even greater things in and through you. The question then is, do you buy that? Um, if you are a follower of Jesus, do you believe that he gives you the ability to help others supernaturally? Or for that matter, he wants to make available to you supernatural healing? Um, I think for most of us, if we're honest, that might be something hard to swallow, right? It might be something like, okay, you know, it makes sense, but maybe for some of us that's hard to swallow. Maybe supernatural healings are things that happen, yeah, okay, during biblical times, or maybe they happen today, but in the remote parts of the world, you know, the innermost, you know, that country where we just hear stories of these miraculous, but not here, not now. Um, well, you know what this text is saying to us, what James would say to us is, don't you do that if you're a follower of Jesus. Don't you, don't you dare discount that God wants to do supernatural healing through you and for you. Uh, look at this text again. I mean, these are no small claims. But look, verse 15, this will be up on the board. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. Verse 20, whoever turns a sinner will save them. Uh, these are powerful words, supernatural healing, healing, actual physical healing, actual spiritual healing, none of which James is saying would happen apart from God's divine intervention through the followers of Jesus. So then how can this be? And what does this actually look like? Or actually, let's bring this home a little bit more to our hearts before we jump in. Do you need healing in your life today? Physically? Spiritually? Or do you know others around you who are in need of healing? Supernatural healing? Uh, would you like to join God in bringing that to them? Now, I'll be the first to say, when you look at this text, again, it's not one that I would necessarily pick, but it's hopefully reinforcing to you that our goal here at Current is to give you a well-rounded biblical diet. So even though we go, that's actually one of the big reasons why I like going through a book, uh, a book of the Bible, is that we're going to cover it if we, if we get there. And, and here, here's this one text that we wouldn't otherwise uh, consider, but is really helpful for us today. It raises all sorts of questions, I imagine, and thoughts, which we'll do our best to address as, as we go through. Um, and it's not as if we're going to be able to wrap everything up into a tight needle, a little bow, and yet, and, and yet James show us, shows us three ways God involves us in supernatural healing. Uh, here at the end of his letter, he, he gives us three ways that he commissions the church to carry it out. Uh, so let me pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into this. Father, what a big topic. Uh, what a wonderful topic. Lord, can this be? As your followers, we say, yes. But Father, would you help us understand what, what your word says here today? Um, would you help it uh, touch our hearts? Lord, if there's, there's uh, among us, 
You know, I'll put myself there too, who need healing in any sort of way. Lord, would you, would you touch them today? Would you minister to them? I mean, would you help us be a church that brings your healing touch to the world around us? Um, thank you for the power in these words. Lord, would you give me, humbly speaking, I just need your help today as I seek to teach these things. Help me to get out of the way and present your word as it is. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make that sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Jumping down to verse 16, the latter part, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Here, of course, is the first way that God involves us in supernatural healing. We're going to break it down to three today. The first is, of course, prayer. Uh, God calls us to pray. And his big point here, James, that is, as he's writing these words, is prayer actually affects things. It changes the world. I remember I was at a I was um, staying at a hotel one day, and I was reading the newspaper. And I know I was staying at a hotel in my, in my memory because I was reading the USA Today. You ever read the USA Today outside of, the, of a hotel experience? I can't remember reading them, <laughs> other than like going across and, you know, seeing those little dispersing. Anyways, so I know I was staying at a hotel in this memory. And, but I, I remember, and it was just a couple years back, uh, when uh, this guy, this two Christian missionaries to Western Africa, one of them being uh, Kent Brantley, uh, had been exposed to and had taken, had, oh, I don't know the medical term, had, had, had come down with Ebola, um, which if you know Ebola, it's, it's known literally as the, the deadliest virus in the world. Um, and they, they got Ebola while serving to help others with, with Ebola, of course. And so obviously that was a big part of the story, but the headline really caught me because here's the USA Today, not really a Christian you know, uh, newspaper, saying, what a miraculous day. Uh, doctors healed by uh, healed from Ebola, which you know is not a, a curable disease. Um, the the gist of it is they had done an experimental medication and it somehow worked. Although we don't still have a cure, this is years ago. And we're still trying to figure it out. But here's how the doctor kind of reenact his take on it. He said in the article, "God saved my life," said a gaunt Brantley. Uh, whose arrival at the news conference Thursday drew applause from the crowd. He thanked his medical team and the millions of people around the world praying for his recovery. Please do not stop praying for the people of West Africa. What an interesting thought. You know, here's a doctor say, praising his medical team, thanking his medical team, and yet also saying, and keep praying. You know, there's an interesting thought there, even as we get into this text and we try to understand it, kind of grapple with it. His take was, hey, medicine was absolutely involved. Are you kidding? For sure. But at the end of the day, God saved my life. Don't stop praying for the people there. Um, I don't know whether you buy that or not. Let's say you do, just for the sake of, of, of argument. Um, but what about the many times when these prayers seemingly go unanswered? Verses 14 and 15 have been a real struggle for many Christians who take the Bible seriously. Is anyone among you sick? The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. What about the times when that's seemingly unanswered? You know, it makes me think of my parents who went through a really hard time when they lost their first child. I don't know if any of you know this about my story, but my, old, my oldest brother was born prematurely and only lived a few days in the hospital. And to say that it was devastating to them would be a gross understatement. 
And you can be sure that they were praying their heads off. You can also be sure that they had their church praying their heads off, even as they were in ministry. What of that? Many people see this verse, the prayer of of. Uh, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and they draw the conclusion, oh, you know what this means? It means we need to really work ourselves up and be into absolute certainty. You know, this is like, we just got to concentrate really hard, and then God will heal. Um, in other words, they say the prayer of faith, as James is writing it here, is having no doubts. Um, but I would humbly put before you that that might be a terrible mistake, because when a prayer seemingly goes unanswered, Let's say the person doesn't recover physically. The only conclusion has to be then, okay, which of you didn't believe with all your heart? Um, can you imagine how damaging that would be to the person uh, receiving the prayer, let alone the people themselves praying? And you know, I can think of another example of a prayer of faith offered in the Scriptures. There was a man whose son was possessed by a demon, and he brought this son to Jesus, and he asked, prayed to Jesus, will you heal my son? And Jesus kind of calls him out on it. Well, do you believe? And do you know how that guy responded? He said, what he actually said is, I do believe, help my unbelief. That's like saying, I think I believe, I'm not sure. And you know what? Jesus essentially was saying, that's faith. Therefore, you know what a prayer of faith seems to mean uh, from what James is saying here, at least as I understand it in this text? He's saying it's praying for something specifically and trusting it to God. God, please heal Kent Brantley of the Ebola virus. God, please heal my dad's body of cancer. God, please help this little one make it through the night. A lot of people will say, well, you see, some prayers just go unanswered. But James is saying, don't give room for that. He doesn't give room for that. The sick person, he says, will be healed. But Cindy and I prayed for our, my, our father, her father, my father-in-law, that he'd be healed of his lung cancer. My parents prayed that my oldest brother would survive. What's going on? How do we reconcile this? You know, I've been thinking a lot about this, and here's how I feel like the Lord has just kind of made this clear to me, just to kind of put before you. You know, a couple weeks ago in our Alpha class, so in our, our Alpha group, Actually, it's Alpha Continued. Uh, we're going through the book of Mark, which is uh, a gospel account of Jesus' life and just his ministry and his life and all the healings that he did. Well, at one point in his life, there was, a, there was four men who brought their paralyzed buddy to him in order to be healed. By this point in his ministry, it's chapter 2 of the book of Mark, so it's real early on in his life, that Jesus had already become known for being the healer, the great healer, and everybody was bringing him. It literally says in the chapter before, whole towns were bringing their sick to Jesus for him to heal them. And so Jesus had grown in notoriety. People were kind of flocking to hear him and listen to him preach. Well, that had happened the day that these guys brought their buddy, brought him on his mat to, to be healed. Jesus was totally just surrounded by people. It was a standing room only. You couldn't get to Jesus. Well, these friends, not to be deterred, were like, man, we just carried our buddy who knows how far. Like, we're going to take this guy and, darn it, get him healed, or at least get him in front of Jesus. And so if you know the story, they find a little way up to the rooftop above where Jesus is preaching, and they start burrowing down to try to get through, which I just think would have been so funny to have been there. I mean, you imagine just little, like, 
building materials just starting to come down and like Jesus is just kind of doing one of these. Is he still talking? Are the people just kind of trying to pretend that that's not happening? You get this hole that kind of opens up and then four guys just kind of peek through like, are we good? And then next thing you notice, you just like, there's a dude coming down. And it's like, yeah, could you imagine all of that? And what was this moment building towards? What were these four guys hoping would happen in that moment? What did this one guy being lowered down on this mat, what was this all an expectation for? And yet in that moment, Jesus didn't say, get up, take your mat and walk. He would actually go on to do that. But in that moment, he didn't say that. What did he say? Son, your sins are forgiven. What? Wait a minute. We just spent all this time and all this embarrassment burrowing through some other dude's hole. We're going to have to pay him back. I don't even know how that works. To get him in front of you. Not to say, son, your sins are forgiven, but to heal him. And Jesus actually goes on to heal him. But you know what? If you read that story, that part of the story is anticlimactic. And by the way, Jesus only heals that guy. He finally says, okay, go ahead, take your mat and go home. Only to prove the point that he had actually healed the guy. Because people were calling Jesus out on it. Anybody could say, your sins are forgiven, Jesus. Who knows that you have the authority to do that? Actually, they were yelling, blasphemer. It's more what they were doing. But anyways, Jesus, to make the point, said, you know what, just so you know that your sins have been forgiven and so everybody else knows, why don't you go ahead and take your mat and walk? In other words, that wasn't the point of the miracle. The point of the miracle was Jesus saying, son, your sins are forgiven, which, you know what, to me, helps me understand James, is that Jesus is thinking and knows so much more intimately what we actually need. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Like, in light of eternity, him getting up and taking his mat and walk is, I don't want to say pathetic, but like doesn't matter. Not pathetic, it's beautiful. We rejoice in that sort of things. Kent Brantley rejoices that he was healed from the Ebola virus. However you slice that. The big miracle happening there was, son, your sins are forgiven. I was talking to a friend this week, and he was telling me how his cousin uh, has just been going through just some amazing life change. I, I can't, don't have time to give the whole story. Just We're talking such life transformation, like amazing, like after she put her faith in Jesus, just her life is just becoming like people from the outside in, her own other family members are like, who is this person? In fact, people from the outside in, her own family members who used to mock Christianity just outright are saying, okay, her life's different. You know, that kind of deal, right? And yet, my buddy and I, when we were talking about this, we were just like, man, isn't that cool? This is just miraculous. We were using that word, and boy, I, I, I believe that word. Miraculous that her life has changed. Because, by the way, I know how hard it is, how miraculous it is for my life to change. Okay? So let me just say that. But we were just re rejoicing at how miraculous that is. But you know what's infinitely more miraculous? That she found and put her faith in Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that is like... If we start to understand even the slightest of what that means, it's like it's literally making my skin just like, whoa. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes you and I, we might come and say, hey, God, I'm really looking for this healing. But he might have something far, far greater for you. This is not in the text here, so I'm off-roading a little bit. But sometimes he's using that hard thing to help you see with a greater thing. Um, Jesus cares about holistic healing. And we get to be part of greater things than these. And what Jesus did, I, I, I can't get my head around that. Look, I am a 
I am a living product of prayers of many believers having prayed for my parents. My parents prayed for my oldest brother uh, who didn't make it. Uh, the community was praying for them. And you know what? That could have just, my parents could have been like, you know what? Forget this. That prayer wasn't answered. What, what gives? No way. And yet my parents, if anything, it made their faith stronger. The Lord raised them up. Um, if anything, they went into to, 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 to do essentially 30 more years of pastoral ministry, planting two uh, gospel-believing churches, and uh, of which I'm most thankful for. They also went on to have six more kids. I, I say this in all due respect to my two younger, bro- my brother, younger brother and sister. I'm glad they at least made it to the four because... I can't wait to meet my older brother someday. My son bears his name, Caleb Jonathan. Um, Did you know that Jesus himself wrestled through this tension? This tension of praying and his prayer seemingly going unanswered? There in the garden, literally the night that he would be betrayed, literally the night before he would be nailed to the cross, he prayed these words, God, may this cup pass from me. He was saying, I don't want to do it. Is there any other way to do this thing than me go to the cross? And yet, he ended that prayer, of course. Nevertheless, your will be done. Uh, because there's, and, and, and Jesus went to the cross. Why? Because there's no other way for us to receive the forgiveness of sins that we ultimately need. Praise God that he went. Uh, praise God that the Father answered that prayer in another way. Um. And what ultimately happened, God did raise him up. That's actually the exact language. If you look at Philippians 2, chapter 2, and after he went to the cross, the Father raised him up and gave him a seat at his right hand on the heavenly throne and gave him the name that is above all names. But he didn't raise him up to the throne without before first raising him up on the cross. Our prayers may not be answered in the ways that we would hope or expect, but the promise is he will answer them, and for our good. If you would like to, if you would like supernatural healing, um, the, it's prayer is a big part of that. Uh, you can actually, by the way, it talks about elders praying over you. you. I'd like to make this available to you. I mean, come, if you, if you want to have elders pray over you here at Current, we'd love to talk to you. Come see me after service. We'll We'll, we'll, we'll set that up. I mean, you know, this whole thing about the oil, the laying on the hands, the oil is not magical, okay? It's not like the oil becomes holy or anything like that. In the, in the Bible, oil represents uh, represent two things. One, it represented God's presence. That's the Holy Spirit. And then two, it actually represented medicine. Did you know that? Uh, in, the, in the biblical times, medicine was, was used to soothe the body of wounds from injury. For instance, if you look at one of Jesus' most famous stories, the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, that guy was healing the guy on the side, or at least uh, putting oil on him to help him with his wounds, which I think is such an interesting picture of what we're, what we're learning here in the faith. The Bible affirms medicine. That is why, for instance, Christians pray things like, God, use the doctors. Use medicine. Use the, the, the surgeon's hand. Lord, please use whatever means, even if, that, even if that's acting outside of the laws of nature, because you are the great physician. We put this person into your care. Christians don't say, oh, medicine's second rate. No. Bible affirms medicine, even as we ultimately trust ourselves into the hands of the great physician. And it says, notice, by the way, pray over 
like have the elders pray over. It's an interesting thought there um, because um, what, what scholars uh, help me understand is there's, there's kind of a hierarchy of need of what they're saying here. Uh, that idea of praying over is a physical, positional one. It's this idea that the people that they're praying over are likely people who are kind of bedridden or so ailed that they're on their side. In other words, I don't think James is saying come to the elders for prayer for the common cold. Um, but he's saying, he's saying if you're in a place where you need this, if you're relevantly uh, difficult circumstance, this is available to you. But the other thing I would just say is notice that James is couching all of this, that all believers should pray for all believers. This is one of the biggest reasons you, I would just encourage you to consider getting into a current group if you're not in one. This, one of the best parts of the current group is when we pray for each other. And we receive prayer for each other. When we just hear what's going on in the other person, we're praying. And then we know how to, we're informed to pray for them during the week. We can, we can check in with them, but we can just watch and monitor how, how God is, is working in each other's lives. Now, we need this. And God's promise here is for supernatural healing. Okay, there's so much more we could talk about on this, this topic of, of prayer, this, this point. But we need to press forward. The second way God involves us in supernatural healing is through confession. Verse six, uh, 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I guess the first thing to notice here is the link uh, uh, between confession and being sick. So verse 16 kind of picks up on what we we're talking about with those who are sick, saying therefore, so it's kind of building on that thought, which I think is interesting for us to consider. Uh, you know, people in medicine will tell you something that I've found in my own limited experience, that there's a link between this idea of confession and being sick. When my ailment, uh, I have an autoimmune condition, a rare form of arthritis, when it got to be really bad, especially right before I got on the medication I am, it took a long time from the diagnosis. Some of you know the story. I almost got to the place where I was bedridden, and when I was at that place, I was just so physically low, so physically like, like vulnerable in so many senses that I, you know what I was doing? I was, I was just taking a lot of stock. You know, I was, just, I was just taking kind of like a self-spiritual diagnosis. That's not to say that, you know, I was like, oh, did I do something to cause this? I mean, I was just thinking about all of these things of like, what are the wrongs I've done to others? I, I, by the way, I, I, I find myself, I wonder if you're the same, when I have a really, really bad case of the cold, and I'm just sitting there in bed all day, just like miserable. Like, I'll just think about these things. And I think what James is saying here is taking a sort of sp a spiritual self-diagnosis when we're sick is a good thing. Again, please hear me. I'm not saying you're sick or you get sick because you've sinned, you sinner, you. Like, that's not what we're saying. Uh, the Bible's clear that, that some hardships happen to us, but for nothing we've done. But even still, it is good for us to take uh, the sobriety that sickness affords, if I can put it that way, to take stock. Um, and then here's what James says specifically. He says in verse 16, confess your sins to each other so you may be healed. Uh, what what scholars will note here is he's not saying confess before one another. He's saying confess to one another. Now, confessing before one another, that's helpful. I mean, that's just kind of this idea of like, you know, what James is not saying is, hey, just go and spill your guts to people. Just like, hey, just let it all out there and just, you know, uh, that's not to say there's not a place for, you know, accountability and sharing just different things that are going through us. That, that's good. We do need to, we need to confess in those ways. But what James is talking about when he says confess to each other, he's literally saying coming in agreement with somebody who's saying we've sinned against them. Now, they might not say that, right? They might not say you've sinned against them, um, but they might, they're bringing a wrong to us. And that word confess literally means to come in agreement. 
uh, uh, homo, which means the same, and logos makes up this word, so same logic, same uh, reasoning. It means going to someone who has said that you have, you have sinned or you've wronged them, um, and, you, and, and you haven't been in agreement with them, but to agree with them and to just to try to make things right. And in doing so, the result can be supernatural healing, either of the physical variety, even of the spiritual variety. I had a friend many years ago that we kind of fell out of alignment. We kind of had a rift in a relationship. Uh, it was not fun because we were in the same uh, group of friends in the same church, which just meant it got really awkward. Um, he got mad at me for doing something that I just was completely in disagreement over. I was just like, ah. and then I got offended that he was offended with me and, you know, all that sort of thing. And I just dug in my heels and he dug in his heels. And it wasn't like I was trying to go around and politic, but, you know, I'll just, I'll just say, you know, the human heart. My human heart was just a kind of like, I wasn't just like, ooh, I'm building up my case against him, but I was just over there doing different things. It wasn't, wasn't the most helpful. And looking back, I wish I had handled it a lot differently. Um, but our, our relationship was out of the sink. We were out of agreement. It was miserable. It was a really good friendship that now had become this really, really big burden. Uh, it was affecting me physically uh, in many ways. Well, long story short, after a lot more time had passed than I care to admit, uh, hashtag David's stubbornness, um, I reluctantly got over myself, which I believed really to be a gift of God, went to him, came into, into agreement with him that I had wronged him. Um, and what was amazing, actually, in that moment is he, in turn, did, did the same towards me, and then we were just kind of a heaping emotional mess. Like, I love you too, man. And I, I, We actually literally did that, um, and I think we were just trying to, like, we actually, to be serious about it, I feel like we both palpably felt the power of what was the restoration, and I think we were, in our insecurity, trying to find comedic relief. Um, but there was something very powerful that happened that day in that relationship, and our relationship, by the way, is much stronger today than it ever had been before. Um, confession is a way God involves us in supernatural healing. But here's what often happens when it comes to confession and the like, is we often downplay it. Or more than that, we put those sorts of things that we've done out of our minds, often because of a sense of pride. Um, But what happens is it can imprison us. We can't stop thinking about it. It makes us miserable. And actually, they've done studies about this, and I'd love to talk to my... uh, uh, doctor friends after the service hear your thoughts. They've done studies on this. There are articles, there's papers in the field of medicine that they say that if we carry these sorts of things with us, that if we don't deal with them, if we, if we you know, the guilt and all the like not dealing with the wrongs that we've done, it can actually, it actually does affect us physically, uh, creating uh, things uh, in, our, in our actual physical bodies, ulcers and the like. Um, so it's important for the church to exercise confession for supernatural healing. Is there someone who, you, who has said that you've wronged them? Um, have you? Or perhaps it's not in the way that they're expressing it, but maybe you kind of missed what they're, what, what they're saying, which is underneath the surface in which how you have actually uh, wronged them or haven't been caring or loving towards them, not treating them with respect or honor. The church is commissioned to confess to one another, which brings healing, restoration, wholeness. You know, I love that our culture is coming out with a lot of things, you know, in the startup world, in the corporate world, of, hey, we need to be able to have these kind of conversations. We need to be able to, you know, be direct with people. This is all awesome stuff. Like, we need this stuff. What I would add to that, because I don't think it covers everything, is we also need built into that, followers of Christ, gospel humility. 
the goal is not just to figure it out and resolve the things, uh, you know, just get back to business as usual. The goal is to bring gospel healing, love, care under the surface. And I'll tell you what, that's harder to do than to think about it. And think about it this way, you supervisors, that's going to be hard to do with those you supervise, right? But creating that sort of dynamic so that you can do that uh, and finding ways where you can uh, love and care for people in that way. Finally, the third way God involves us in supernatural healing, uh, we see in verse 19 and 20, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The third way that God includes us in, in uh, supernatural healing is reclamation. Now, I don't like that word. It's kind of a mouthful, but it's kind of what, what James is talking about. It's to reclaim somebody who's wandered from the faith, to go after them, to bring them back into the fold. Have you ever been there? Have you ever started to wander and someone came and helped you out of it? Uh, what did that do for you? Uh, one of the things I really celebrate and wasn't necessarily anticipating to happen as much as we've seen by God's grace here in the life of current is uh, one of our goals setting out was to, hey, to be a church that where folks that social scientists call, you know, categorize as unchurched, um, people who have never been part of church before could feel welcomed, could kind of understand the faith and just, just try it on and understand it for themselves. Um, so that's been a real heart and goal for us. One of the things I didn't realize was going to happen to the extent, it, we've seen it happen, and we're just so thankful for this, is, is the amount of folks that social scientists will call de-churched being a part of things. And de-churched are people who have at one time in the past been a part of church, but now no longer are a part of it. Either because something happened that they were just burned by or whatever it might be, or it's just... Uh, you know, just some sort of experience. Uh, we are called to help people back into the faith. And reclamation can take many forms. So, for instance, for me in my walk, I, you know, I, I, the reason why I finally actually went back to that guy and talked to him after a long period of time, my buddy, who we had a falling out with, was because I had buddies actually come and say, David, you know what? You should probably go talk to him. And my more daring buddies, hey, and you, you know what? You should you haven't been perfect in this, right? You know that, right? I'm so glad they were gracious with me so that I actually kind of sort of heard that. Um, reclamation could take any number of uh, forms. Um, it's worth noting that reclamation was extremely important to Jesus. All of Luke 15, some of the most famous stories in the Bible um, are about reclamation. You know, the story of the lost sheep where this guy has 100 sheep, one goes missing, and so he leaves the 99 and goes after that one. Or think about the, 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 the old woman who had 10 coins and lost one, and she just was trying to find it. And then, of course, the most famous of all, the story of the prodigal son is a story of reclamation of how a guy came back into the father's love and care. Uh, this is what James is calling us to do for others, to go help reclaim, bring supernatural healing that way. James 20 says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, you may say, I thought only Jesus can save. I thought Jesus could, only Jesus can cover over a multitude of sin, and you'd be right. Only He can, but He wants to do it through you. 
I know there are many parents I know of, of kids who've walked away from the faith. I know there's kids thinking of their parents in terms of never having come to the faith. In many respects, by the way, the gospel is God created us to be in a perfect relationship with him, but we decided to do our things the own way. So all of this, any, the only way any of us come to the faith to begin with is through reclamation, for that matter. There's friends, there's ex-roommates, people who have wandered away, and it breaks your heart. Um, so how can we go about reclamation? James doesn't really give a prescription here, except I think that to say that I think the context is helpful. Number one, prayer. We need to be praying, praying that the, for the for the person that we care about, that they would come back to the Lord or know Him for the first time. You know, Cindy's dad, uh, before he put his faith in Jesus, years before he used to say, "Don't talk to me about religion." That was really hard for Cindy to hear, and then me eventually to hear. Because we're going we're gonna to keep talking to him about Jesus. Maybe that was our workaround. We were talking about religion. We are talking about Jesus. And, and, but the point was, we were, we were going to respect that and not just browbeat him, right? And yet, at the same time, we loved him so much, we had to keep talking. So what did we really, really do? We prayed. We were praying. I praise God that, that God answered that prayer in the, in the way. Um, I think confession is a part of this too, in terms of reclamation. I mean, taking inventory, confessing sins that might be affecting us or affecting particular relationships, you know, seeking God and, and His kingdom first in our own lives and just um, trusting Him with the rest. I think of uh, this family friend that I was, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, if you were here, who had a kind of a falling out with, with her, uh, her son, uh, who for years just kind of walked away from the faith, and she just you know, her own thought is she came to the realization that she had just, in trying to love that son, she had actually made things a lot worse. And so actually a big part of her ministry to her son was to come and say, hey, I haven't, I haven't been that great. I haven't been loving, caring for you. Um, it takes many forms. And the other thing I'd say about when it comes to reclamation is it undoubtedly, in most take, uh, cases, takes time. Um, I think about uh, when it says, verse 20, uh, what it means to turn a sinner from their ways, as James puts it, uh, how many of us are quickly to turn away from the error of our ways? Like, are you kidding? Uh, maybe it's just me. Um, it takes time. So there, there you have it. God wants to use us to bring supernatural healing through prayer, confession, reclamation. Then James abruptly ends his book. Did you notice that? Here's how he ends his book. Remember this, whoever turns the sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins, period, and stop. Next book. It's like, James, what? It's like, really? I mean, he just ends, no benediction, no greet the, whole, the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss or, you know, may, you know, some benediction of may the peace of God be with you. He just ends the book like cover multiple sins. Okay, all right. But you know what? I think that's actually very appropriate for James because James is a book of action. Faith in action. And actually, I, think, I actually am encouraged to think that, hey, this is a good reminder that James is calling us to live our faith in action, to put it to action, to not be a church that is just going through the motions. Um, but faith must be accompanied by action. And that's true of all the large themes we've been looking at. How we speak, how we treat our finances, how we treat the poor and the oppressed, make decisions, all these things that we've been, how we, how we face suffering. But it's also true, as we've looked at here at the end, of, of supernatural healing through prayer, confession, reclamation. Prayer takes faith as it takes discipline, diligence to act. Confession takes faith then as it takes boldness to act. And then, of course, reclamation takes faith, but also patience and wisdom 
to act. So let's be looking and let's be living in such a way where we're bold, we're putting our faith to action. My hope really is as we continue uh, beyond past this series, that this series wouldn't be one that we've just, you know, we did in the beginning of 2019 and we're, we're done, but it would be something that helps mold us into a church of gospel action. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you so much for the power in your word, even in, even in topics, dare I say, especially in topics that we, that we might not otherwise just kind of naturally just gravitate towards. What a powerful text here that you want to include us in, in supernatural healing. Father, would you help us see what that looks like in our lives and in the lives of those around us? Would you help us to, to pray? It's a pretty straightforward thought, but the, I'll confess, I'm not, I don't pray as much as I, w- I want to be. Would you help us to be a people that are vulnerable and willing to confess? And would you, be a, would you help us to be a church with the vision to, to reclaim? Of course, not doing any of this in our power and our might, but, but, but with your help and with your grace. We love you, Father, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.